Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Promises to you, speaking to the people of this generation, and to your children, and to all who are far off, even to as many as the Lord our God will call. The promises to the present generation, to the next generation, to the generations that are way out in the distance, and all the way out to as many people as God will call. That's who this promise is to. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on the book of Joel. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I don't think there's any future blessing coming like this because, after all, the world's so wicked and the great apostasies coming and so forth. Um, I think that we should actually believe and anticipate a great outpouring of the Spirit because that's what the Scripture says. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Now, remember, up until this point, the Spirit had been poured out on very few people in history. Most of them are named in the pages of Scripture. Some are not. Maybe more are not named than are named, but you know, it was a relatively small number of people. And it was limited to, for a long period of time, it was limited pretty much to the people within God's covenant nation, Israel. Although it wasn't exclusively that, there were others outside that had it. But, you know, so a person upon whom the Spirit had been poured out, they were few and far between. But now the distinct thing about this, the new covenant, is that the Spirit will be poured out on all people. So it's no longer limited to Israel, but now it's going to be poured out among the nations. And not only is it going to be poured out among the nations, but even within now the church that the Lord gathers by the Spirit, all of the members of the body are also recipients of the blessing, the outpouring, and the gifts of the Spirit. So all of us can potentially prophesy. All of us might have dreams, and visions. And I don't think it's just old men and young men who have dreams and visions. I think the ladies are included in that too. You're welcome. (laughs) But isn't this, I mean, isn't this a great picture though? You think of this. You know, I, I really pray that we can grow and and come to a place where real prophetic ministry is not the exception. It's not a rare occasion, but it becomes just the rule of our times as the people of God, that, that we would prophesy to one another. Now, there are 
groups of people that will take this and abuse it. And most of the time the abuse comes, I think, because they don't stay tethered to the word. But if we have the scriptures as our anchor, then that gives us a tremendous amount of freedom to be open to the moving of the spirit. And in such a way where we don't have to worry that it's not real. Now, there, there are groups, like I said, that get carried away. They're not really tethered to the word. They, they're more interested in a immediate word from God than his written word. So when every time people come together, they're like, hey, I've got a word for you. You got a word for me. Hey, what's the word of the Lord? And they never bother to open their Bibles and see that, and there's lots of words from the Lord right here in the biblical text. But, you know, they're looking for a sensational sort of an experience. And that can quickly become a mess. And so we have to be aware of that and we have to watch out for that. I mean, I've had people prophesy to me over the years and just because my life's been tethered to the word, the minute they finished their prophecy, I could just look at them and say, that wasn't a word from the Lord, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, no offense, but it just wasn't. I do not bear witness. The spirit bears witness with my spirit. Uh, I believe that that's a way that we, we know that God's speaking and you know, it, it didn't happen. And I've known people who have had a word pronounced over them and they've gone out without testing it and they've done some pretty wild and crazy and foolish things and ended up making a mess of their lives. I can't tell you how many people I've known who have been, it's been prophesied over them that they were going to, you know, lead multitudes to Christ. They were going to fill stadiums and preach to tens of hundreds of thousands. And they couldn't even love their neighbor. Didn't spend any time in their Bibles. We're not committed to walking across the street and asking their neighbor if they knew anything about the gospel. But man, God showed me, somebody laid hands on me. Somebody told me, they prophesied over me that stadiums, I'm gonna be there and it's gonna be amazing. And no, that's not the Lord. That's not the kind of stuff we want to hear. But we do wanna hear real prophetic words because God will speak to us through each other. God will put something on your heart And he'll put it on your heart to go to your friend and say, you know, I don't know, this seems kind of weird, but I just think I should tell you this. And they'll tell you, and then you're suddenly like, that's not weird, that's God speaking to me. How did you know that? I don't know. Well, you know right then that that was the Lord. So, and of course, this is the book of Acts. This is what was happening in the book of Acts with the Christians. Now, some people say, well, it had to happen like that in the book of Acts because they were just getting started. They didn't have Bibles. There were all kinds of reasons why they had to have a lot of the supernatural. But once everything got settled in and the church got established and the scriptures got completed and all of that, then they didn't need that supernatural stuff anymore. That was all to kickstart the work of God. I even remember reading a Bible commentator from back around the turn of the century, back, you know, from the 1800s into the 1900s. And in the early 1900s, before the First World War, 
there was this sense that the world had become Christianized, that the world was, you know, under the influence of the gospel now and that because the world had become so Christian, many at that time, many Bible teachers, they dismissed the present working of the Holy Spirit and they relegated it back to the early days of the church because back in the pagan world, they needed it. But now in the Christianized world, we don't really need that anymore. We've got good churches. We've got the Bible. You know, we've got seminaries. We got all this stuff. We're fine. Too bad they died and didn't get to stick around and see the, the resurgence of paganism in those places that they were so assured was now Christian, those very places are now almost entirely pagan. And man, just like the apostles went out into a pagan world, equipped with the power of the Spirit of God, as we go out into our pagan world, we must be equipped with the power of the Spirit of God. And so, this wonderful word is, I I mean, obviously it's a prophecy about the future, right? Because Peter says when it was partially fulfilled, but only partially fulfilled. And as Peter said, the promise is to you, speaking to the people of his generation, and to your children, And to all who are far off, even to as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise is to the present generation, to the next generation, to the generations that are way out in the distance and all the way out to as many people as God will call. That's who this promise is to. We're pretty far out there. 2,000 years, that's Pretty good distance, isn't it? The promise is for us. Praise the Lord for that. So, verse 32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the surviving uh, survivors whom the Lord calls. So, in those days, So again, projecting out to the future. In those days at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. So again, over and over, God's promise to restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. He says, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and sold girls for wine to drink. Now, the Lord's gonna gather them, he says, into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, remember, was a, a king of Judah, but his name means uh, Yahweh is judge. So there's no record of any geographical 
area known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. So because that's the case, some have speculated that this is a valley that will be produced when the Lord steps on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives splits. This will be then when this valley will will come into existence. Maybe so, we don't know. But it doesn't have to be Because, again, if you go with the name, the meaning of the name, the Lord is judge, it can just simply be the valley where the Lord will judge. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a location that is known. It's not known now, but doesn't necessarily have to even be uh, something that's known in the future. We know, I was just reading in Revelation again this past few days, the nations, when the when the demons come forth from the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, they go out into the world. These demons that look like frogs, they go out into the world and they gather all of the nations together for battle and they assemble at Armageddon. So Armageddon most likely refers to the Valley of Megiddo. And if you go to Israel today, if you get to go up on Mount Carmel and stand there and you look out over this vast Jezreel Valley the, that, that would be also the uh, Valley of Megiddo, you see that this is a, an excellent place for staging uh, the armies of the world. But we know according to the prophets and specifically Zechariah that the battle in the end will be the battle for Jerusalem. It's not the battle for the mountains of Megiddo, it's the battle for Jerusalem. And so this is what is being referred to here. God is gathering the people together for this judgment. And he's gonna put them on trial because of their treatment of his people. Now, what have you against me, Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly, speedily return on your own heads what you have done. Now today, Tyre and Sidon would be the area north, uh, which we know is Lebanon, and over into a little bit of what today is Syria. And Philistia today would be the Gaza and that area there known as some of the places, mostly along the coast, but the main city there is Gaza. And so verse five, for you took my silver and my gold and you carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people, sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. So this is another one of the reasons why some think it's a post-exilic because prior to the return of Judah to the land, the Greeks had no, there was no significant um, power in Greece. And so the Greek period came after the Persian period. So people think that maybe that's, the reference to the Greeks here points to a post-exilic. But another answer is that the Ionians, who are also known, another name for the Greeks, they were known for human trafficking. So 
Again, we don't totally know. So, see, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them. So he's speaking about Israel. And I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations. So there it is, Jehoshaphat, the Lord is judge. I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the wine press is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. This is almost word for word repeated in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, uh, John sees this angel uh, with a gold crown and the appearance as, as the son of man with a sickle in his hand. And then the voice cries out and says, reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he thrust in his sickle and he harvested the grapes and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So Joel is talking about the same thing John saw in Revelation 14. And notice here, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. So this will be the greatest judgment in, in the sense of a, um, like a military kind of a victory for the Lord. This will be the greatest battle in history. Multitudes in the valley of decision. For the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened. The stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. So these promises to the people of God, the city of God. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine. The hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of the Acacias. Now, this is very reminiscent of Zechariah. Um, if you read Zechariah 14, this sounds very much like what we read in Zechariah. But Egypt will be desolate. Edom, a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood, Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. 
the Lord dwells in Zion. What a question. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? You know, there are those who, this is kind of becoming popular again. There are those who are just so opposed to the idea of of God judging. We even hear this from, sometimes even from Christian theologians, that, you know, there, there is no judgment, there is no hell in the traditional sense of a place of eternal torment. And, you know, for, for them, they would see that, you know, how could a God of love actually judge people like that? It doesn't fit with their interpretation of what a God of love looks like. Well, a couple of things. First of all, just remember that the God of love is also the God of righteousness, holiness, justice. And we have to get our understanding of God from the Bible, not from what we think or feel. Because our feelings are tainted with sin. Our thoughts are tainted with sin. But God is not. So we have to get from the scripture. And the scripture says that God holds people accountable and that there is a judgment that will come. And that last statement there is, you know, that's a great question. So should those who shed innocent blood just be let off the hook? I mean, that's kind of what it's saying. But in, if you take the position that there is no judgment if you take a, a universalist position, which some hold, which says in the end, everybody's going to be saved, even the devil. Some people go that far. So then you, you, know, you have to look at, let's just look at the most common example that we would all look at, Adolf Hitler. I mean, there are others who were just as bad or worse as Hitler, but you know, he seems to be the, the one that, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, he was a devil to say the least. So then, did Hitler, a man who was indirectly responsible for the death of millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people, and directly responsible for the death of at least six million Jews, so was his suicide or however he died, nobody really knows. Well, I mean, was that it? Was that the end of it? He just wrecked all this havoc on planet Earth and then he dies and it's, that's the end, it's all over. Man, there is not an ounce of justice in that kind of thinking. And God is a just judge. And so, you know, when we, when we have an inclination toward this idea that, oh, well, I don't know that God could really judge anybody, stop and think about the evil that's been perpetrated on innocent people in history, and then thank God that there is a judgment. Thank God that there is a day of these things being rectified. There will be. And that's what the Lord says there, that final word.
For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin. Although the holiday season can be filled with fond memories from childhood or the prospect of more to come, the holiday season can also be one of the most difficult times of the year. The longing for those we miss can intensify, or the loneliness felt throughout the year can be amplified. Whether the holiday season brings you excitement or dread, Rebecca McLaughlin will introduce you to the man born 2,000 years ago and explain the significance of his birth for you today. She will deal with the incredible claims of Christianity and will help you see that it is perhaps more important than you think. The book is Christmas Unbelievable, Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series with the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.